And that's where you were tuned, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. Up next, the Sunday News with Paul DiRienzo. Protesters burn an immigration facility in Portland, and a giant of the anti-war movement passes. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Sunday, April 11th, 2021. Iran on Sunday described a blackout at its underground Natanz atomic site, an act of nuclear terrorism. Natanz has been targeted by sabotage in the past. Ariel Gold is an activist with Code Pink. She says the attack is dangerous, but nothing new, and are apparently failing to derail this week's negotiations with the United States aimed at restarting the Iran nuclear treaty. This wouldn't be the first time that Israel sort of takes credit for sabotage inside Iran and sort of doesn't. Um, Just within the past year, there have been um, a number of attacks inside Iran that have been attributed to Israel, including um, a fire during the summer of 2020 at the Natan site. And then, of course, we have in November, shortly after the U.S. election, uh, when Israeli operatives assassinated Iran's top nuclear scientist. So uh, this is the way Israel generally does it. They, you know, they kind of claim but don't fully claim. And I think we can um, attribute this to Israel and along with um, it being incredibly dangerous. I mean, sabotage attacks on nuclear facilities my god Uh, but along with that i think we have to view this as um israel sabotaging the u.s talks with iran israel interfering with u.s politics and trying to prevent u.s diplomacy with iran the trump administration after trump pulled the u.s out of the jcpoa intentionally implemented what was officially called a wall of sanctions. The purpose of doing this, it's really this web of complicated sanctions and terrorist designations. The purpose of this was to make it uh, as difficult as possible for a future administration to return to the JCPOA. And it seems to me that that's what Israel is doing as well. It's trying to make it as difficult as possible for the U.S. to get back into the JCPOA. We haven't seen that work so far from Israel. Biden said during his campaign that it was his intention to get the U.S. and Iran back into the nuclear deal. And it seems that that's what's happening right now. The reports that we've heard from the talks are that progress has been made, and I certainly hope so. Code Pink activist Ariel Gold. Multiple Israeli media outlets reported Sunday that an Israeli cyber attack caused a blackout, claiming the Mossad intelligence agency was behind the attack. Yesterday, Iran announced it's launching a new series of centrifuges that can enrich uranium 50 percent faster. That would be a violation of the nuclear deal that was scrapped by then-President Donald Trump. 
Meanwhile, Ecuador is voting in a presidential runoff today that will decide if the South American nation will retain pro-free market policies. Economist Andres Arroz won the first round of the election in February with almost 33 percent of the vote on promises of a return to policies of his mentor, former President Rafael Correa. Arroz's rival, banker and third-time presidential candidate Guillermo Lasso, is promising to create jobs through foreign investment. The vote will hinge on the roughly 15% of the electorate who remain undecided. Code Pink activist Medea Benjamin is in Ecuador to observe the polling. The polls are very close, and there's been a lot of unhappiness on the part of Andres Arauz. It's been a difficult campaign. First, just getting on the ballot was so hard to do. There has been a lot of attacks of people who were part of the Correa, the last president of his administration, and those were people that would have been part of this campaign, but many of them are in exile or in prison. It's been a tough time. We are hoping that the results will come out tonight. If not, we'll have to wait till tomorrow. It's a runoff election, right? Yes, there was a first round in which the uh, candidate Andres Arauz came out way ahead, but not enough to avoid a second round. This is being portrayed as a return of the sort of a grudge match between socialists and free market forces in Ecuador. Is that how you see it as well? I don't know that I would call them socialists in that Andres Arauz has not defined himself in that way. He's been very progressive in terms of his policies. He wanting to take care of people who've been so hard hit by the pandemic. But I wouldn't particularly call them socialist because the times are different. They don't have a majority in the assembly this time. It'd be hard to pass some of the policies that were implemented under Korea's time. Ecuador's economy has been hard hit by the pandemic and the decline in oil prices. Yes, and then there is a lot of unemployment, underemployment, a huge number of people that work in the informal sector, and they have been extremely hard hit by the pandemic. No matter who wins, it's going to be hard building back up this economy. People in the Arauz campaign feel that if it's Lasso, that it will be an austerity program. It will be an IMF-based economic program that will hurt the people at the bottom and will really be much more friendly to businesses, especially big business. One of the candidates is an indigenous candidate who's called for spoiling the ballots. Is that call having any uh, ring to it? Well, yes, it could totally impact the results. The candidate, Yaku Perez, had called for knowing the votes and some part within the indigenous community and the same movement that his party belongs to, Konai, the head of it had come out and said that he supported Andres Arauz, but there are other people in the organization that are supporting Lasso, and there are other people who are going to spoil their votes. It's not clear how that's going to be divided, but it will have a tremendous impact on who wins. Anything like that? Well, it's going to be a close race and... Fortunately, I think there hasn't been a major interference on the part of the U.S. or the Organization of American States that has played such a bad role in Bolivia and Haiti before that, and even in the first round. So far, it doesn't seem like there's that 
uh, kind of interference, but we won't know until the results are in and there's worry that there will be fraud happening in the count. The sides are ready to take to the streets. It could get very conflicted. We hope that the results come in early and they're over 2% difference to make people feel comfortable that the election was free and fair. Globetrotting Code Pink Peace activist Medea Benjamin reporting from Ecuador. Low crude prices have damaged the oil exporting nation's economy already hit by COVID. The pandemic has pushed a third of the population of Ecuador into poverty and left half a million people unemployed. And in Washington, the White House unveiled its initial $1.5 trillion budget proposal on Friday. The plan represents an early glimpse into President Joe Biden's domestic spending priorities, ramping up spending on education, health and climate initiatives while keeping military spending relatively flat. Biden announced a preliminary budget known as the skinny budget on Friday. This is a pioneer breakthrough that we hope we we can detect and treat, prevent diseases like Alzheimer's and diabetes and give us a chance to end cancer as we know it because we'll focus exclusively on those items. And uh, secondly, I propose an historic funding increase of 50% of $4 billion and the opioid crisis, which still ravages the country, and has taken so many lives over the last two years. Resources of both the states and the tribes for treatment as well as uh, prevention. It also includes the single largest funding increase ever for Title I schools, schools for disadvantaged schools, including uh, resources to end the rape kit backlog. We've been working this for a long, long time, and we still have a backlog in the rape kit. And the, and, and the point is a significant number of women who have been raped and the person has not been found or convicted is because they're sitting in jail. The average rapist rapes about six times. And uh, so out there, we're, we want to make sure we go through this backlog and find out to bring some, some uh, uh, certitude to, for the woman saying, no, no, it was true. That's the man. He did it. So I look forward to working with Congress to advance these and other priorities. I think we're going to be able to get, I'm hoping, we'll have some bipartisan support across the board. I've already spoken to some of my Republican colleagues about dealing with the, the, the infrastructure legislation we have up there as well as other budget items. Rape kits contain DNA evidence from rapes that are backlogged in police agency evidence lockers across the nation. It's Biden's first budgetary pitch to Congress, which can also reshape it in an appropriations process that will likely take months. The skinny budget is separate from Biden's $2.2 trillion infrastructure project, funding roads and bridges and clean energy incentives. A second proposal of a similar size is expected later this month. And police say a group of about 150 protesters carrying anti-Biden and anti-police signs marched in Portland, Oregon and damaged the headquarters of the Democratic Party before lighting a fire at a United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility. (laughs) 
rioters ignored loudspeaker warnings. I wouldn't call them rioters. They were drummers, it seemed, against trespassing and ripped down fences at the building's perimeter, burning wooden pallets in the building's driveway as the crowd chanted, this is what community looks like. Federal agents emerged from the building, unloading pepper balls and tear gas at the protesters. And in more national news, former Attorney General Ramsey Clark, a leader of many protests himself, has unfortunately passed. His death on Friday in New York City was announced by a family member. Clark became a top Justice Department official as part of President John Kennedy's new frontier before heading the department under Lyndon Johnson. After leaving the post, Clark was a frequent critic of United States policy and outspoken on the death penalty, civil rights and other issues. Clark was a frequent guest on WBAI radio through the years. Lucy Pagoada Quesada, who co-hosts Voices of Resistance on WBAI Sunday afternoons, paid tribute to the great Ramsey Clark on her program today. We are also paying a most and well-deserved tribute to the revolutionary legacy of former U.S. Attorney General and compañero Ramsey Clark, who passed away on Friday, April the 9th, at the age of 93. Ramsey Clark is a true rebel with a cause. As it was stated by the New York Times in its Saturday edition, I support that statement because I had the privilege to meet Compañero Ramsey Clark in the context of our struggle against the U.S. military Baku in Honduras in 2009. And we were able to coincide in some of our anti-war actions and protests in defense of the revolution of the Bolivarian people of Venezuela. Ramsey Clark was very involved in the support of the people of Honduras and of President Manuel Zelaya during the coup. The revolutionary governments of the Troika of Resistance in Latin America, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua have all sent their solidarity messages to Compañero Ramsey Clark, his family, and everyone who knew him, everyone who is today morning because of his passing away. However, we are here also to remember his great legacy and to celebrate everything that he did for the people of Latin America and the people of the world. For all that you did, Compañero Ramsey Clark, we, the people of Honduras and the people of Latin America, will forever be thankful. Let our uh, Compañero Leader Ramsey Clark rest in power and I would like to always remember him by a quote that he will always say a right is not something that someone gives you it's what no one can take away from you Lucy Pagoada Quesada co-host Voices of Resistance on WBAI Sunday afternoon John Parker was the West Coast coordinator of the International Action Center, which Ramsey Clark founded in 1992. Parker traveled with former U.S. Attorney General Clark on many anti-war delegations to build peace and solidarity, including trips to Sudan, Iraq, Syria, and Palestine. Yesterday, a dear friend and inspiration of mine died. I traveled with him to the many targets of U.S. imperialism and met heads of state with this person who had the clout to go anywhere and who didn't mind being vilified by the corporate media that slavishly told the line of the U.S. State Department regarding his integrity, simply because he refused to go along with the lies of U.S. imperialism when they wanted to go to war, either overtly or covertly, against countries that insisted on their sovereignty and their usage of varying aspects of socialism. This person was and will be remembered throughout human history 
as a person of principle who turned his back on his privilege and connections to the ruling class when, during the Johnson administration, he refused to go along with the bombing of Cambodia and the Vietnam War. He turned his back on Johnson's cabinet position and instead put his body in harm's way to stop the U.S. war drive, whether it was in Sudan or in Vietnam or Syria or Iraq or anywhere he felt he could use his status to stop his country, which he quoted Martin Luther King Jr. as saying, was the greatest purveyor of violence today. And he wanted to save children's lives. He assisted and led legal battles that were instrumental in helping to expose and hamper the FBI and the CIA and State Department in their attacks against the democratic rights of workers and oppressed people here and abroad, and still remained approachable, comforting, and gentle to me and anyone he deemed working for the good of the planet. On our trips... In spite of his notoriety, he refused to fly first class and carried with him one outfit only, a modest jacket and tie and pants to match. Two weeks ago, I gave him a call, probably one of the best decisions I've made in life. I needed to see about an endorsement for an anti-imperialist webinar, but mainly wanted to touch base and make sure he knew how important and loved he was to our movement, even while he was 93 years old. He mainly wanted to talk about the right-wing riot at the Capitol, so I didn't want to bring up the endorsement and just enjoyed hearing his reflections on it. When the call ended, I made damn sure he knew how important he was to all of us in the movement and to human history. One of the best decisions I made in life. Ramsey Clark, Presente. John Parker was the West Coast coordinator of the International Action Center. Ramsey Clark was 93. And the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives Ethics Committee said on Friday it's opened an investigation into Republican Congressman Matt Gates involving allegations including possible sexual misconduct and illicit drug use. Speaking at a Save America summit at the Trump National Doral Resort in Miami on Friday, Gates responded that wild conspiracy theories were being used to smear him. So let me assure you, I have not yet begun to fight. For the country I love and for the nation that I know benefits from America first principles. I'm built for the battle and I'm not going anywhere. The smears against me range from distortions of my personal life to wild, and I mean wild, conspiracy theories. I won't be intimidated by a lying media and I won't be extorted by a former DOJ officials and the crooks he is working with, the truth will prevail. Gates is being investigated by the U.S. Justice Department for possibly violating sex trafficking laws by paying travel expenses for a 17-year-old female with whom he was romantically involved. A friend of Gates, a former Florida County tax collector named Joel Greenberg, is expected to plead guilty in a sex trafficking and fraud case in a Florida federal court. Greenberg's attorney, Fritz Scheller, told reporters on Thursday, I'm sure Matt Gates is not feeling very comfortable today. Scheller may have been referring to media reports that Greenberg cooperate with federal investigators in their probe of Gates. Two New York criminal defense lawyers on Friday confirmed they'd been hired by Gates. And the United States' decades-old war on drugs is apparently collapsing, at least when it comes to pot, 
On Wednesday, Virginia became the first southern state to legalize marijuana. Lawmakers voted to approve Governor Ralph Northam's changes to a bill allowing adults to possess and cultivate small amounts of the drug, the weed, starting in July. The final version of the legislation would allow adults 21 and up to legally possess up to one ounce of cannabis without the intent to distribute beginning July 1st. It also would allow the home cultivation of up to four plants per household beginning July 1st as well. Public use of the drug will be prohibited. Earlier this week, New York State legalized marijuana, allowing personal possession indoors of up to five pounds and six mature plants and three ounces outdoors. Smoking pot is allowed anywhere tobacco can be smoked. And in the last few days since this law was passed, I've been smelling it everywhere. I'm sure you have, too. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. A federal judge ruled Friday the attorney general of New York State Their suit against Amazon for unsafe working conditions during the pandemic can stay in state court instead of moving to federal court. The ruling by United States District Judge Jed Rakoff is a setback for Amazon. The suit was filed by Attorney General Letitia James in February over allegations Amazon failed to provide adequate safety measures for its New York City employees during the pandemic. Amazon has also sued James, saying that her legal action was based on threats and unwarranted demands. And Governor Andrew Cuomo warned on Friday the state's supply of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine against the coronavirus will drop by nearly 90 percent next week. In a statement, Cuomo added, while no appointments should have to be canceled, we will not be able to get as many shots into New Yorkers' arms as we would like. A spokesperson for the White House Coronavirus Task Force is Jeff Zients. When you talk about the doses being down significantly week to week, I think it's important to remember that a week or two ago, Johnson & Johnson actually delivered 11 million that we got into the market immediately. Distribution of the two-dose Pfizer and Moderna shots have not been impacted. The reduction in J&J vaccine was apparently caused by a mishap at a Baltimore production facility that spoiled 15 million doses. And COVID-19 introduced new normals into our lives, face masks, social distancing, isolation. And with work from home and virtual learning, some people spend more time snoozing. Others spend more time boozing. A new report finds that alcohol consumption increased in the summer of 2020. Syed Haq reports. I definitely drink more because I'm home more often, simply just because I'm not going on on many as appointments. But I would say maybe just one extra drink a day. Mike is a real estate agent in Florida. But for sure, the first three months of when we were like all in lockdown, lockdown, and when you weren't even really allowed to go out besides for essentials, like, you know, groceries and stuff, that's when I noticed my wife and I were like, you know, we had nothing more to do. That's in line with findings from the alcohol use disorders identification test, which found an increase in alcohol between April and September 2020. Dr. William Kilgore is the author of the study and a professor at University of Arizona College of Medicine. Uh, alcohol use increased during that first period of time. But after September, I've been looking at some of the other data we've collected now. We've continued on for about a, almost a year and it looks like it's leveled off. So it's not continuing to rise anymore. I think people are becoming aware of the fact that they were drinking a lot and are starting to try to cut down on that, which is good. Dr. Kilgore says the study found that greater alcohol consumption was associated with younger age, primarily men, and unemployment producing the greatest influence. Secondly, the greatest increase in high-risk drinking over the course of the pandemic was predominantly among those under lockdowns or stay-at-home restrictions. 
The researchers decided the status of lockdown by asking if the community is under a stay-at-home order or if they're otherwise currently sheltering in place. They may have still gone to work. They might have been an essential worker that that uh, went to work anyway, even if they were under lockdown. The percentages for those under lockdown increased from 21% in April to about 41% in September, but essentially unchanged for those without the restrictions. Before the lockdown, I used to drink maybe like, I used to go to the bar, maybe just one drink, two beers. Now when in lockdown, it was a whole two six-packs a day. Roberto Bolaños is an immigration paralegal in New York City who found his sister catching the virus, his hero Roberto Valencia, a sports commentator from Ecuador, passing away, and the rise of COVID-19 among the Latinx community as a triggering point. I opened the New York Times and all you see is talking about Jackson Heights, Queens, how it's affecting the Latino community. Then I broke down. The Latinx community has been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Many are frontline workers who came face to face with the virus. According to the New York Health Department, the Latinx community has the highest death rate among COVID-19 cases. It was like my first and only time that I actually broke down, you know, everything. You know, what happened in Queens, the sport commentator died and then my sister. And then that's how I start. <laughs> and then I started like drinking to get better. And then I keep on drinking. That's how it actually triggers. Dr. Don Sugarman, a research psychologist in the Center of Excellence in Alcohol, Drugs, and Addiction at McLean Hospital, says other research has shown that women have increased the alcohol use more than men. They're saying that they're feeling more stress related to the pandemic. And that stress in particular is why they're increasing their alcohol use. According to Sugarman, people have felt stress in the past during events like natural disasters and terrorist attacks, but it wasn't as prolonged as people are seeing with COVID-19, where they have been isolated for so long away from friends and family. So we've never seen anything like that. So the research is, is really novel in, in that sense. Additional studies are currently underway to track alcohol use during this pandemic. Syed Huck, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Syed. And in New York City, tomorrow marks a new day in New York City schools that will no longer be required to shut down after two reported cases of COVID-19. The so-called two-case rule led to numerous schools having to suddenly shift to remote learning for weeks. The rule has reportedly caused nearly 2,400 extended school building closures this school year. During the announcement last week, Mayor Bill de Blasio said the new guidelines are based on CDC recommendations. And finally, on Friday, Bronx District Attorney Darcel Clark's office informed the family of Antonio Williams that NYPD officers responsible for killing Antonio in 2019 will not be prosecuted. Antonio Williams was standing on the street waiting for a taxi on September 29, 2019, when plainclothes officers in an unmarked car jumped out of their car at him in the middle of the night. NYPD officers chased, tackled and beat Williams and then recklessly opened fire, some from over 60 feet away, killing both Williams and NYPD officer Brian Mulkeen in a hail of 15 bullets. A statement by Communities United for Police Reform reads, at every point since Antonio was killed, the NYPD, Mayor de Blasio and District Attorney Clark have delayed transparency and the NYPD has actively tried to criminalize Antonio for being killed by police. But the truth is that Antonio was just a black man waiting for a cab when police illegally chased him, beat him and shot 15 times and killed him for no reason. The family has a lawsuit pending in state court.
And that's some of the news for Sunday, April 11th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry and Lucy Pagoda Quesada. Our engineer is Max Schmid from New York City for the WBAI News. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. Thank you.